good to have you here today. And uh, we're continuing our series on being a spirit-filled church. I think that's a great idea because that's the Lord's idea, right? And uh, last week we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. And why we spoke that way was because uh, sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit as being an impersonal power and that he makes us to do foolish things. But that's not the case. We discovered that he's a real person. And how do we know that? Jesus always referred to the Holy Spirit as a person. He always spoke in the third person when he is come. Not it, but when he is come. He will lead you into all truth. He will magnify me. He will bring to your remembrance. And he will convict of sin and he'll draw you to, to himself. And so he's a real person. And not only just any person, he's the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so he's no less God than Jesus or God the Father. In fact, he was present at creation. And when God moved, it said the Spirit of God moved across the deep. And he brought creation out of chaos. He brooded over the deep, and it was the Spirit of God that brought creation out of chaos. And it was the Spirit of God that came upon Jesus when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Father spoke, Holy Spirit came, and Jesus was baptized. So he's a divine person, and he's the author of the Bible. Uh, this isn't man's thoughts about God, but these are God's truths to us. And he takes ownership of this book. And it was written 1,600 years ago by 40 different writers, but one author and one redeeming theme, the redemption of man. And so men were moved upon by the Holy Spirit when they wrote the Word of God. It wasn't their ideas. It was God's thoughts and God's truth. So he's a real person, a divine person, an important person, because without him, we can't accomplish what God wants us to do. And so it's not by our ability, but by his enabling. And so we realize that he's a real person and he's available because the promise of the Holy Spirit's baptism is for us today. And so we want to look at that today. We want to look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it means and why it matters. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 and beginning at verse 3 speaking of Jesus, or verse 4, speaking of Jesus gathering with his disciples for the last time. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And down in verse 8 it says, And you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and unto the ends of the earth, Samaria. And so he, after he'd spoken this, uh, they watched him taken up. So that was his last conversation in person with his disciples. And it's important to realize that. And so they went back to Jerusalem, and they went into the upper room, and they waited there. So Jesus after his death and resurrection, appeared 40 days uh, unannounced and unexpectedly over 40 days with his disciples. And then 
the day of ascension in verse 9, he went into heaven. And they were standing there looking up. But he left them the promise that you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so they went back to the upper room and they prayed. And so for 10 days they had a prayer meeting. Now, if I told the ushers to lock the doors and we're going to be here for 10 days, I think something good might happen. How about you? You know, I think, you know, they were hungry for God. But imagine the pressure that would have been upon them. They're saying, okay, now Mabel, I want you to be sure to evangelize all of Ontario. And then your husband, you can look after Quebec. Okay. And, you know, so uh, just saying. So, but imagine the responsibility that he's left. And you're it. And they needed God. And they knew it. And so they waited. And it says, when the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 1, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That's important. Unity. And then, suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house, the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we want to look at what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We know he's a real person, but what is the purpose and the meaning and the importance of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> so Jesus used uh, a concept that the disciples were aware of. <clears throat> he said, John baptized you with water. But wait here, because <clears throat> not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to consider the word baptize. Baptize in the Greek means burial. So let's look at water baptism. How many have been baptized in water? Yeah, so <clears throat> you're not sprinkled, but you're buried, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> so when somebody dies, and we're dying to the old life, when somebody dies, you give them the whole nine yards. You don't just sprinkle a little dirt and think that'll do. You put them underground. So <clears throat> when you're baptized in water, and I've baptized several over the years. I haven't lost one yet. But if I kept them down there, <laughs> they'd be goners. But, you know, they're buried they're submerged in water. And it's saying, I'm dead to my old way of life. And when you come up out of the water, it represents being resurrected with Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. And so, then that's what John said. And Jesus said, now remember what John did. Now, <clears throat> I'm telling you, stay in Jerusalem because not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So the whole emphasis on being baptized is to be submerged, to be saturated with, to be filled to overflowing, not just indwelling, but being filled with, being baptized by. So <clears throat> it would be like... The Titanic, it's down at the bottom of the uh, Atlantic Ocean. And every chamber of the Titanic is flooded and filled with water. 
It's baptized. It's like a sunken ship. So the whole emphasis of being baptized isn't just uh, to make you feel good, but it's to saturate you with his presence. Not only being born and indwelt with, but being filled to overflowing with. That every area of your life can be saturated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that comes when you are baptized with the Spirit. So if I had, <clears throat> imagine me holding a nice uh, white Irish linen towel. And right in front of me is a great big bowl of black India ink. You remember having India ink in school? Anyway, and then I submerge it into that. When I bring that nice white Irish linen, it's no longer white, but it's black. Every thread is saturated and changed. You can't get that out. Changed. Baptized. So he, that's what Christ says he wants to do when we're baptized. Another illustration I think of is, <clears throat> you know, everybody has gardens, and so we have a lot of cucumbers this time of year. So if I had a slice of cucumber and a little dish of vinegar and I put it in, come out, that would be a cucumber with a bit of vinegar on it. But if I left it in there for a long, long time, it would become a dill pickle. So turn to somebody and say, God wants to pickle you today. Go ahead, yeah. <clears throat> but the whole idea... Is not just being blessed, but being transformed internally, being absolutely filled with and overflowed by and saturated with the presence of God. And so that's what it means to be baptized with. The other thing is, it's something subsequent to and different from salvation. Now, if you look at the scriptures here, because I'll depend on that. Well, if not, I'll bring my phone out. Where's my phone? In the office, in the car. Okay, well, do we have that? First uh, Corinthians 10? Okay, so there's actually three baptisms, okay? First, there's the baptism by the Spirit of God. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. Now, what it's meant by that, I know it's up there somewhere. My keys are in there, but if you get my phone, that'd be good. I'd have my notes. Um, my keys. Here we are. Okay. So, baptism into the body of Christ occurs at salvation. And in 1 Corinthians 10, I'll look it up. Maybe I've got the Bible here. What, what am I thinking? Okay. I think I got it. Here I am. Okay. 1 Corinthians 12 actually and um, it's verse 12 for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body speaking of the body of Christ whether Jew or Greek slave or free we all have been made to drink uh, into one spirit so that happens at salvation so the spirit of God comes and what's his his purpose he's here to convict us of sin and when we're convicted of sin we become aware of our need of Christ. 
And no one can come to Jesus unless the Spirit draws. So you can't just go down to the unemployment and think, well, I think I'll become a Christian today. It doesn't work that way. It has, no one can come unless the Spirit draws. So he comes and he makes us aware of our need of Christ. And so then repentance comes. We have a change of heart. We have a change of life. And we ask him to come into our lives. And we're born of the Spirit of God. So we become part of the body of Christ. Okay? We're, we're family. You can go over to Lebanon. You can go to different parts of the world. And when you find a true born-again Christian, you know it because we belong together. We're part of the body of Christ. So there's only one church in town and around the world. It's his church. We can have denominational labels, but it's those who are born of his spirit. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and he baptizes us into the body of Christ, which is his body, the church. And he places us there with giftings as as he chooses so you know we're all here to complete and complement one another we all have a ministry so that that's it, salvation so once you're born again then comes the second one is water baptism and in mark it says that john said i baptize you with water so jesus referred to that so that's water baptism and that's an outward declaration of what's happened in our heart you're saying that I no longer live for me and myself and I, but I'm living for Christ. So do you get that? So you've got to be born again, and only the Spirit of God can cause you to be born again. And then you are baptized to declare, I'm a follower of Christ. And then, for the follower of Christ, comes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because uh, this, this takes place after you're born again. You can't get filled until you're born again. You can be indwelt with, but you need to be filled with. And so we need to look at that. That's, I'll get on to that in a moment, but I just wanted to give you the importance of what it means. It means to be baptized with. And so it's subsequent to salvation. You can't get filled with the Holy Spirit until you're born again. And then it's always accompanied by the speaking of tongues. Now, if you look at Acts 2, 4, the very first thing they began to do, it says they were all filled and they began. See that in verse 4? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began. And what was the very first thing they began to do? They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit of God gave them opportunity and the ability. Now, on that day, the unique thing is they spoke in different languages that people understood. Because you have to understand that they were there to celebrate the day of Pentecost. And they came from all over Israel to Jerusalem. And it was on that day God chose to pour out his spirit upon his, his church. And so what they were doing, if you look down to verse 11, they, weren't, they were praising God in other languages that they did not learn. I don't know Chinese, but I'm praising God in Chinese. But there was a Chinese person there saying, oh, I know what he's saying. He's glorifying God. And so you read that. And in verse 11 it says that, um, you know, that here he is. He says, uh, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. What are they speaking? 
wonderful works of God. Okay? So they're not speaking to man. They're speaking to God. They're praising God. They're filled to overflowing. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, He who prays in tongues uh, speaks, to man, speaks to God, not to men. There's a good assistant right there, you know. Yeah, he just copied it off for me. Well, anyway, I should have brought my notes, but I've got it in me anyway. So, <clears throat> so, so you need to understand that the very first thing they did was they spoke in other tongues. Like that was a language. It's a prayer language. And I've got other references here to look at as well. I think. Maybe not. Okay. Distinct from conversion. Yep. And accompanied by speaking in tongues. Acts 2.4. But there's more. So if you look on chapter 10, verse 44 to 45, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. And as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. You read that in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 and 45. And while he was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. How'd they know? Because they heard them speaking in other tongues. They were not only born again, but they were spirit-filled. And it all happened boom, boom, boom. And so we find that that's, that happened there. And then Acts chapter 19, if you go to the opening verses of Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. And, and while he's at Ephesus, there were believers, so they were born again. But he asked them a question. Have you been spirit-filled since you've been born again? And they said, well, we, we haven't even heard about uh, the Holy Spirit. Well, what baptism? Well, I was baptized by John. John's baptism, which is repentance of sin. Water baptism. But when he explained to them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it says he laid hands upon them in verse 6, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. Let me look it up. I know we got it here. It's in the Word. I'm not making it up. And Acts chapter 19. I've got too many things here. Okay. <clears throat> Back one. 19. Here we are. Okay. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, he came to Ephesus, finding some disciples. So there were followers of Christ. They were believers. Do you have your Bible? That helps. Here I am, leading by example. Eh? <laughs> and <clears throat> so he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. That's water baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. <coughs> so these were believers 
but they had been indwelt with, but not filled with, not baptized in. But when Paul explained, even John said, I baptize in water, but after me comes one mightier that's going to baptize you, saturate you, fill you, and flood you with the Holy Spirit. And when he laid hands upon them, they spoke in other languages and they prophesied. Same as on the day of Pentecost. Same with Cornelius and his household. And so it was at Ephesus. In fact, <clears throat> when Jesus left the promise and he left them, he said, you'll be witnesses unto the ends of the earth, Judea, Samaria. So in chapter 8, because of the great persecution, maybe I should look that up. If you've got your Bibles, let's look at Acts chapter 8 because it's good to hear the word. This is, uh, oh yeah, is there Bibles in their Acts? Okay, that's good. Pick up a Bible and there you are. That's a good idea. In case you didn't bring one. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. All right. So now the context here in chapter 8 is Saul of Tarsus hasn't been saved yet. But in chapter 9, he gets saved. Praise God. But <clears throat> there was great persecution. Verse 3, Saul made havoc on the church, entering into every house, dragging off men and women, and committing them to prison. And as a result, verse 4 says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. And Philip went down to Samaria. That's part of the promise. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth. And so he went preaching the word. And he preached Christ unto them. The multitudes were of one accord. And they heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing miracles which he did. Now look at this. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Many were paralyzed and lame, and they were healed. And there was great joy in the city. And then down to verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard what that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John down to them. So when they had come down, they prayed for those new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them. And none of them had been only been baptized in the name of the Lord. But when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit, the baptism. And so, <clears throat> sorcerer, the Simon the sorcerer, he said, Oh, how much does that cost? I'd like to buy that gift so I could do that too. And Peter told him where to go. Because he said, you're not of a right heart. But what the question is, what did Simon the sorcerer see under the ministry of, of Peter and John when they laid hands on these believers that he didn't see under the ministry of Philip? Under Philip, he saw demons cast out, paralyzed, healed. He saw many miracles, and people came, became believers. But what he saw was they spoke in other languages when they were baptized and saturated with. And so, it's consistently throughout the Word of God. <clears throat> and it's to give us a prayer language so that it edifies us and glorifies God. And when we pray in the Spirit, we're praying mysteries to men and even to the enemy. 
because he doesn't know what we're saying. He's not all-knowing. And that's why he tries to belittle and downplay the importance of praying in other languages. But it's consistent throughout the Word of God. And it's still relevant today. And so what it means is to be baptized with, saturated with, after your salvation, you're baptized at salvation, you're baptized into the body of Christ, then there's water baptism, and then there's the spirit baptism. You say, wow, I never thought. That's what it means. And you need to digest those verses and meditate on it and say, Lord, I, I haven't heard about this. What, what do I need to do? But as you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. It says, you being evil or sinful, if your child asks for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? Of course not. And if we ask our Father who is pure and ask him for the baptism of the Spirit, is he going to give you a wrong spirit? No. He'll give you his spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So why is it important? That's what it means. Why does it matter? I want to take you back to Acts chapter 1, okay? Now, sometimes we read a passage and we don't understand the whole context. So bear with me. It says, let me read it first. It says in verse 3 of speaking of Jesus, well, until the day in which he was taken up, that's the ascension, chapter 2, after through the Holy Spirit he had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen and to whom he presented himself alive after his death by many convincing infallible proofs, being seen of them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, that's the context. So let me give you Tapley's translation, okay, because we don't always get it. So say we're gathered here, and it's my funeral. And I'm laying out in the casket, and you're all saying nice things about me, you know. You know. And as the minister goes on, and, you know, Brother Gay comes in. You know, I know him, Dave, for a good time. And, you know, suddenly the casket opens up. So, oh, by the way, before I leave, I have something important to tell you. Do you think I would have your attention? But that's exactly what was happening. We read it, but we don't get it. Jesus was dead. They were convinced he was dead. They needed to be convinced he was resurrected. And for 40 days, he made himself known with many convincing proofs. And so, he's ready to leave. Because in verse 9... They see him go. But before he goes, I have something important to tell you. And this is why it's important. Listen to his words. There was a sense of urgency. Last words have great depth and meaning. And so here's Jesus' last words to his disciples. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them. Say that. He commanded them. So it wasn't an option. Let's take it to a board meeting and decide should we do this or not. No. Jesus gave a command. 
He commanded them. It wasn't optional. He commanded them not to depart. So here, he's emphasizing the, the priority of the Holy Spirit. He said, do not leave home without him. Wait until. And he had their attention. He came up out of the casket type of thing. And he had their attention. So he talks about the priority of the Holy Spirit. A real person. You're, it's to your advantage I go, so he will come. The same spirit that was in me can be in you. You've seen what the power and baptism of the... Because he was... Look, at Jesus did nothing in his own right as Son of God. He was baptized before he ever preached. He went into the wilderness and he was tempted 40 days and he came out how? In the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, to set the captive free, cause the blind to see. And he said, that's my commission. And so what he did as the Son of God, because he was in perfect sync with God the Father, but he did it by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do it just because he was God, even though he was. He laid aside access to that, but he was empowered by the Spirit, everything he did. And then he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm going to send you. So this is why it's so important. He talks about the priority of being baptized. Do not leave home without him. Now, I can almost hear Peter speaking, and that's why Jesus said this. Peter was so enthused. He said, oh, boy, we know he's really alive. I've seen him, and we've been with him, and let's get out there and tell the whole world. And he said, Peter, sit down. Do not leave home without him. And they all knew by experience. Peter denied him. They all deserted him. And for 40 days, he restored their faith. He, he resolved their doubts. He turned their sorrow into rejoicing. And now he's going to leave. And they knew by their own weak, belligerent mistakes, I can't do this. I want you to go into all the world. I can't do it. Wait. Because there's another comforter that will come. So the priority of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus emphasizes the certainty. He said, not many days from now, you shall receive. Not, I hope you do. Maybe you will. He said, you shall receive. So he's, here he is, the last words. Don't leave home without him. Not many days from now, you will be filled. And about the ability of the Spirit, you'll receive what? Power. Power. Not ability, but enabling. In fact, the whole book of Acts breathes with the power of God. Now, I know in the Bible it says it's the Acts of the Apostles. I would just change that a bit and say it wasn't so much what the apostles did but what the Holy Spirit did through them. They were all spirit filled. 
So it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through his disciples. Chapter 1 is the spirit of power. I can do a whole series, but I won't. Chapter 2, the spirit of promise. This promise is unto everyone all the way down through the corridors of time, including Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. If you're, if you're a born-again believer, you're a candidate for the baptism. And then there's the spirit of healing. The lame man, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Listen, Peter, did it? So why are you looking at me? It's because of God. God in me. Then there was the spirit of judgment. Ananias and Sapphira fell dead. Well, I won't go there. And then administration, chapter 6. Why should we leave the word of God and waiting on God? You select six men and let them look after serving tables. It goes on and on. Every chapter filled and breathed with the power of God. The greatest strength of the early church was their dependency upon God, the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Bible like we have. They had the Old Testament. But they didn't make a decision. They didn't make a move until they heard from God. They continually depended upon the person of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And they were directed and led. Peter said, the Spirit bade me go. This unclean thing, don't call it unclean. And God sent him to Cornelius. And he, that's the first time evangelism, reaching out to the Gentiles, including us. Hallelujah. Then there's this, the spirit of revival in chapter 8. There's the spirit of conversion in chapter 9. Paul finally gets saved, and it says there was great peace in the church. Thank God for the comforter. Chapter 10, again, Cornelius. But it goes on from there, world evangelism, world missions. The apostle Paul, it's all about how he reached out in missionary. But he was... He was driven and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So why is it important? Because think of the hour in which we live. It's an ungodly hour. I never thought I'd be living in such a day as this. But I mean, sin is righteous and righteousness is sin. Good is evil and evil is good. I don't know if I'm a male or a female. I'm all mixed up. It's how crazy you become when you leave the absolutes of the word. It's a cancel society. I don't believe you, so I cancel you out. Well, that's your choice, but you have consequences for every choice. I always say, are you absolutely sure of that? You know, so anyway, so we need to be aware of the person of the Holy Spirit. He's a real person, intelligent. And he wants to not only cause us to be born of his spirit, but to be filled with it. And he comes where he's welcome. And you think, well, why do I need the baptism? So we can live the life in an ungodly hour, live the life God's called us to live. He will enable us to live the life. Second, to empower us to do the work 
for which he's called us. It's a million miles away from our puny ability, but it is by my spirit through yielded vessels. Amen.